Hi guys and welcome back to another episode of NFL Central, the podcast where we look into the great sport of American football from over here in Australia. Well, divisional weekend is in the books. We know which four teams will be progressing to the conference championship games and vying out for a spot to play in Tampa in February. Uh, Gordo, what did you make of this week's action? It's a, it was an interesting weekend. Um, I mean, the Packers game went about as expected. The Baltimore, um, te- Baltimore Tennessee, the Baltimore Buffalo game was a lot different to how I thought it would go, and then today's game sort of followed the same sort of path that I thought they would. Yeah, I think I mentioned uh, when we were the intro to last week's episode. Uh, sorry, last week's episode that. Um, it was my favourite weekend of football and you, you said it quite, wasn't quite your favourite and I, I see what you mean. And They certainly weren't the best games, but, um, you know, still plenty to uh, delve into and, and break down. Um, before we get onto that, though, just some more coaching news. On the last show, we uh, announced that the Jags hired Urban Meyer uh, and New York's uh, Jets had hired Robert Sala to fill their head coaching vacancy and um, in the time since we last Released an episode, uh, the Falcons and Chargers also filled their head coaching vacancies down in Georgia. Uh, the Falcons got the their man in Arthur Smith, the um, Titans offensive coordinator. He was a hot name among the head coaching searches this year, went around, uh, interviewed everywhere. Uh, and yes, the Falcons have their man. Now it's interesting, Gordo, he's of course been the man behind what has been a, a high functioning offense in uh, well, high scoring, I should say, offense down in Nashville with Derrick Henry and Ryan Tunnel, AJ Brown, etc. Do you see that being transferable and working down there in Georgia with you know, Matt Ryan, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Todd Gurley, and so on? Yeah, definitely. I feel like the Falcons, compared to how much talent they've had on that offense, have underperformed the last few years under Dan Quinn. And I think they've got enough talent there to be like Tennessee. I mean, I'd take Kelvin Ridley and Julio over almost any receiving duo in the league if Julio is still there next year. I mean, there's reports that they're looking to shop him and trade him around. But, yeah, I feel like the Falcons with Arthur Smith, are that's a really good hire for them. Suits their offense, allows them to run what they want to run. I think they'll be well-placed for next year. Yeah, I think it's worth wondering. Dirk Cutter was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta uh, last past couple of years. Of course, he was the Bucks head coach <clears throat> a while ago, excuse me. Uh, uh, but he was actually, that was his second tenure in Atlanta. And it's fair to say uh, fans and possibly Arthur Blanken got it a bit sick of his play calling attitude. There were certainly calls for him to be uh, fired when Quinn was. They stuck around for the rest of the year, but uh, it'll be good to have a breath of fresh air down there in Atlanta. I think the defensive coordinator is a big is a big high there for um for Smith is still relatively uh, young. So yes, good to probably have some experience on that side of the ball. Uh, and then just recently uh, following the end of the last game in divisional weekend, um, that Saints Bucks game, the news was reported by Ian Rapport and Tom Belisero that the Los Angeles Chargers seen by many as the premier um, head coaching vacancy. We certainly discussed that when we discussed that last week. Uh, and the Chargers have gone for Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley to be their next head coach. Uh, Gordo, what do you make of this one? I feel like the oh, the Chargers, I don't know. I feel like they were all, all the talk around them in the last couple of weeks has been, oh, they're getting Brian Dayball. They're getting Dayball. And then this comes out of nowhere. Um, 
I mean, the Lions were meant to be in the box seat for Staley, but it sounds like they've gone with the Saints tight end coach instead. Yeah, so, Dan Campbell there. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I really wanted an, a more offensive head coach to go to LA to be with Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen and really open up that offense. But I'm not sure if they just couldn't be bothered waiting an extra week or two to get in Brian Dable and they just figured, okay, we're going to grab Staley now. But yeah, I'm not sure about this one. Yeah, I think that was my thinking. Perhaps they're concerned that Staley could be grabbed. Well, we've only got Houston, Philadelphia with the spots left. Um, perhaps he could have been grabbed. They wanted to get him, uh, of course, with the Rams being knocked out uh, of the playoffs, which we'll get onto very shortly, whereas uh, Brian Dayball will still be coaching for at least another week uh, as the offensive coordinator in Buffalo. So perhaps that went into their thinking. Um, yeah, your point about uh, them wanting an offensive coach, I think perhaps they keep around... Stain Shedgen, who's the offensive coordinator, or Pep Hamilton, who's the, the quarterback's coach, and they keep around some of the, the staff that Justin Herbert has familiarised himself with, and perhaps that's what gave him success in his first year. Um, but, yes, that'll certainly be something to follow, what kind of staff uh, uh, Staley gathers around him, I suppose. Um, some other lesser news, Bill O'Brien, of course, the uh, well, much marginalised, I think it's fair to say, uh, head coach of Houston, fired after four games this season. Uh, reports are that he's finalising a deal with Alabama to go under Nick Saban as the offensive coordinator, replacing Steve Sarkeesian, who's off to Texas. Um, so, yes, yeah, certainly interesting to see what happens there. Um, of course, Bill O'Brien off the Bill Belichick coaching tree. There's a connection between Saban and Belichick. You often see uh, assistant coaches go back and forth between them. So that's where Bill O'Brien's heading up. And Doug Peterson has been rumoured alongside Anthony Lynn, as favourites for the Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator job. Um, of course, Brian Schottenheimer let go there, and that's seen as not a head coaching job, but one of the prime coordinator jobs um, open in the offseason. And one other thing I wanted to mention, Gordo, uh, the Philadelphia head coaching job, Josh McDaniels is interviewing and he's seen as someone who um, possibly a favourite for the job. Your thoughts on McDaniels getting another head coaching job or do you see him remaining in New England, perhaps ascending to Bill, uh, Bill Belichick, sorry, his position when he decides to retire? Josh McDaniels is a tough one for me. I mean, he failed in Denver and went back to the Patriots and he had the Indianapolis job lined up a couple of years ago and then backed out at the last minute. I, I wouldn't go near him if I was a team looking for a new head coach. I I don't know what it is, but he, I mean, I don't trust Belichick assistants in general outside of New England, but yeah, I don't know what it is about McDaniels, but it feels like he, he did, he failed in Denver and then he backed out of Indy. So I don't know. Mm, there's thinking if he goes there, perhaps Matt Patricia coming along as a, a defensive coordinator, a real New England reunion there. Um, but as usual, there's a lot of people interviewing there in Philadelphia, uh, Houston, the other, the other um, team with a head coach opening, but as we've seen in recent days, they could be without um, Deshaun Watson, which, as we've discussed, is the sole reason you'd want to go to Houston. What uh, gives you hope for that franchise is Deshaun Watson. If he's no longer there, oh, I don't know why you'd want to take that job. Uh, and finally, as you mentioned, Gordo, Dan Campbell, the Saints assistant head coach and tight ends coach, uh, was rumoured to be uh, who Detroit had their eyes on for their head coaching job. They were going to wait until they were eliminated. The Saints are now eliminated. I would expect we would see that announcement 
within a couple of hours that he is the next head coach. So an, an interesting decision here. I, I guess you didn't see that one, Gordo, coming a one-time uh, interim head coach in Miami in 2015, and he's been not even a coordinator, just a position coach uh, in, in New Orleans for many years. Yeah, I mean, this feels like a very Detroit Lions move. I mean, they have – you've got Eric Bieniemy right there. You've got Dayball. They were apparently the front runners for Staley, and they've come out of it with a tight end coach. I, I don't know what they're doing in Detroit right now. Yeah, well, I think um, Bieniemy's a discussion for uh, another time. We can get into that in, in more depth, but that's certainly – you've got to think about why is Eric Bieniemy not getting a job if he doesn't indeed get one. Uh, and, you know, dig into that. Um, but, yes, that's for another day. On to the Divisional Weekend games. We have just watched four games over two days. Not too early waking up times, uh, Gordo. Although I noticed you were up a bit earlier. The Packers game started was 8.15, but you were up closer to 6.30. What was going on there? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I like being up early or I like being properly awake for a Packers game and it takes me a while to wake up. So Fair I figured enough. I'd better get up early, have a couple cups of coffee and just go from there. Fair enough. Well, that was the opening game of the weekend. It was up in Green Bay. The Packers hosting a Rams team who upset Seattle uh, in the World Cup weekend. And in the end, they outlasted LA 32 to 18 in, in really frigid temperatures as usual up there in, in Lambeau Field. They're onto their second straight NFC Championship game, the Packers, and the first at home in, in Rogers' career. Last one at home for the Packers is that 2007 game against the Giants in, in Brett Favre's final game for the team with that overtime loss there. A uh, bit of trivia for you, Gordo. Matt LaFleur is the first head coach to make championship games in his first two seasons back-to-back since who? Um, I'm going to be completely honest and say I have no idea. I went for Rex Ryan. Not right. He's the... There's one guy in between him. It's Jim Harbaugh with the 49ers, 2011, yeah. 2012 there, which is, when you think about it, it makes sense. But, yes, I, I was thinking, I thought Rex Ryan was a pretty good guess, but I, I was one off. Anyway, so, yes, yeah, certainly a successful start to the tenure for Lafer there in Packers. As for the game, it was kind of built up as this top e- offense versus top defense matchup. Uh, but as um, really, as they said on the telecast, it didn't turn out that way. Um, Daryl Johnson said for most of the game, essentially, LA, they couldn't stop. Rodgers and the offense that's been a recurring theme throughout the season in particular really I think it was more the running game I'm sure you'll get into this later got a bit the running game Aaron Jones 14 carries for nine yards touchdown Jamal Williams 12 for 65 I wouldn't say took a back seat but Rodgers he didn't have to do as much he was flawless as usual 23 for 36 296 yards three total touchdowns rushing touchdown in there I think Devontae Adams won his battle with Jalen Ramsey, nine for 66 and a touchdown. Alan Lazard, four for 96 and a, and a score. And I think it's quite obvious that uh, Aaron Donald, the heart and soul of that defense for LA, wasn't at full strength. He had one tackle assist on the day. He was in and out with pain. Um, yeah, I just don't think uh, this matchup between top offense and top defense really turned out as we'd quite hoped, Gordo. No, uh, not at all, really. I mean... I went into the game thinking, okay, the Packers will probably win. I think I predicted something like 24 to 17, something like that. So, yeah, it it felt like the Packers' defense outplayed the Rams as well. I mean, you go into it thinking, okay, how are the uh, Rams' defense going to stop the Packers' offense when realistically the Packers' defense outplayed them? Um, Mm -hmm. Kenny Clark is really coming on the last couple of weeks. Um, Jair Alexander just is incredible. I don't think I could speak highly enough of him. 
Uh, he was targeted three times. He let up one catch for negative three yards. The best corner on the day, you reckon? The best corner in the league. I'll fix that for you. Okay, yeah, that's certainly an interesting proposition, but you're correct. I think for all the criticism Mike Petten gets, not able to stop the run and so on, you know, there were talk of him being fired earlier in the year. I don't think there's any chance of him being fired now, especially if they take this Green Bay Green Bay team to the Super Bowl. Have you softened up a bit on Petten or are you still still a critic? It's it's such a tough argument at the moment with Mike Petten. Like during the game, I know looking at Twitter and everything, Packers fans everywhere seem to want to fire him. And there was a drive before halftime. The Rams got the ball back with three minutes left and drove down the field in two and a half minutes because all he plays is soft zone. But then you look at the stats, Jared Goff threw for 175 yards. Cam Akers ran for 90. That's not bad at all. So it feels a lot worse during the game than it actually is. I think this defense is... On its day, it is very, very good. Yeah, I think it's a bit ridiculous people to be criticising. Of course, the other team's going to move the ball. Of course, they're going to score points. It's just about whether or not that happens consistently or you can force stops. Look, I think, you know, Sean McVay, we know we know he's a genius. They weren't going to score you know, on three points for most of the first half. And then when it came to, you know, when push came to shove, the Rams were able to drive down the field. They scored and they got back... Uh, they got, I think it was 10 to 21 or something at the time. But, yeah, you're right. Goff, 21 for 27, 174 touchdown. Again, largely a mistake-free game. Uh, Akers, 18 catches for uh, – sorry, 18 carries for 90 and a touchdown. I think a key moment I found was they had going for it fourth on one deep in Green Bay territory early on, down 3-0. They have a false start. You know, that attempt goes out the window. And I think talking of Green Bay defense, they're able to create pressure just rushing for dropping back seven, which is really helpful. You don't have to rush any more than that. Goff was under pressure, like three sacks, two of them were on third down ending drives. And in, con- in contrast, as you said, LA's defense, they didn't touch Rodgers all night, really. And that, that's, again, been a recurring thing for most of the year. Rodgers uh, really hasn't been sacked that much pressured. You know, I think the main thing I took coming out of this game is Green Bay will be very, very hard to beat in Lambeau in the championship game. And I'm sure you'll be happy to hear me, hear me say that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my one worry is the games that the Packers have lost this year. I mean, particularly the Buccaneers game, Rogers was blitzed heavily there and he really struggled mm. under the Buccaneers pressure. So we'll see how the offensive line holds up. Yeah. And I think, one last point on the defense. When you're coming Green Bay fan and you've been one for some time, when you had to put up with Dom Capers for all those years, you know, I don't think Mike Petton can be much better than that. And don't forget you won a Super Bowl with Dom Capers. It got a bit stale at the end, but yes, there's been a history of slightly, uh, well, I suppose highly criticized and maligned defensive coordinator uh, coordinators up there in Green Bay. On we go to the next game. Um, <clears throat> uh, up in Buffalo, another I swear the weather can get quite interesting. I think that was one of the things I took away from this game, Gordo. The Bills advanced into the franchise's first AFC Championship game since the 93 season with a 17-3 victory over Baltimore in what I've written in my notes as a bizarre game. I think, I don't know about you, might agree with me on this, Gordo. It's become a hallmark of games in Buffalo. If you hear a game in Buffalo, you think, how is the weather? There's always wind or it's snowing, and there was a, a fearsome wind on Saturday night, what we saw. Justin Tucker is widely considered the best kicker in the league, perhaps the best kicker of all time. He misses two field goals. That's three in this postseason. He'd only missed was it one or two in his whole career in postseasons. 
something like that. Yeah. Tyler Bass missed two of his own for the for the Bills. I don't know how much credit, but I think I gave a lot of credit to both defenses. I think Leslie Fraze, the defense coordinator for the Bills, um, I think he's getting a look in. I think for the Houston head coaching job, and I think I think he does deserve it. A one-time head man over there in Minnesota, he's done a really good job for the, with this defense. Sean McDermott always looking to give him as much credit because as a defensive man, McDermott overshadows him. Um, but yes, first both defenses were very good. I think, and I'm, the real five-minute key period in this game is coming out of the halftime break. Scores 3-3. Sean McDermott's team, the, again, Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, calls a great drive. The Bills go 11 plays, 66 yards for a touchdown. Allen hits Stefan Diggs for a three-yard score. Uh, and when the Ravens look ready to uh, repay the favour, they're deep in Bills' territory. Uh, Teron Johnson picks off Lamar Jackson's pass intended for Mark Andrews and returns at 101 yards to the house. And at that point, you could just hear, um, you know, the... Uh, the Bills Mafia celebrating, Gordo. Yeah, I think that's clearly clearly the turning point in the game. I mean, you look at it, the the Ravens realistically held the Bills to 10 points on offense, and that should be enough to win a playoff game. And their offense just fell apart, particularly in that second half. Lamar threw the pick six. And I think it was on the very next drive, wasn't it, where Correct. he uh, got concussed. So they were pushed back deep in there. And it was almost he almost got tackled for a safety. It was on the one yard line, gets concussed, and from there you really did feel like the game was over. Yeah, I mean uh, Tyler Huntley tried his best. Mm. It's a tough situation to be put in as a rookie quarterback coming in in a divisional round playoff game. But yeah, I've... I don't know what happened to the Ravens. Their offense just fell apart. They'd been going through the re- the end of the regular season. They were beating everybody. They were putting up 30, 40 points a game. And then yeah, this happened and nothing worked for them. Yeah, I think despite the fact that they beat Tennessee last week, this team's uh, failure, I suppose, in postseason has really become their defining characteristic. I don't know. John Harbaugh's going to have to do something about it over the off-season Greg Roman, their offensive coordinator, he was interviewed for head coaching jobs last season. People asked, why is he not being interviewed? Why is he not a hot head coaching candidate this year? And I think that game's a perfect example of why. Clearly, the Bills were matching up defensively very well with them. Uh, essentially, Lamar Jackson was being dared to throw, and he won't throw. They just run the ball all the time. Even when they're down, I think you were talking to me at the time, even when they're down 14 points, they still don't, they still don't look to pass. They're a run-first team, and they want to be that, and he doesn't seem willing to... To change with that. In contrast, the Bills, they're a passing first team. They, they can't run the ball. You mention this every time we talk about the Bills. Um, you know, it's Josh Allen's most weeks is their, is their leading rusher. I don't know whether he was their leading rusher on this occasion, but... Um, uh, um, Devin Singletary, seven carries for 25 yards. TJ Yeldon, two carries for four yards. Josh Allen, seven carries for three yards. Exactly. They can't run the ball... Uh, Ravens can't throw the ball, but, uh, yeah, you know, the Bills come on top. I think that says a lot about a good team. And Kansas City is similar to Buffalo. When the offense isn't playing well, the defense can st- step up uh, and win a game for them. I mean, Allen's what, not bad. 23 for 37, 206 yards at the touchdown. As you said, 32 rushing yards just for Buffalo. But, you know, I mean, Stefan Diggs plays well again, 100 yards and a touchdown for the second consecutive week. But for, for Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, what, 14 for 24, 162 um, with that pick six. 
and on the ground he had nine for 34, which just wasn't enough. Um, I think, yeah, as I say, perhaps people have figured, uh, defensive coordinators, they've figured out how to stop Greg Roman's offense and he doesn't seem to know how to overcome that. It'll be interesting to see over the offseason if they can find something um, and see whether they can p- compete again next year, Gordo. Yeah, it feels like a Greg Roman offense. Yeah. The same thing happened with him when he was in San Francisco with Colin Kaepernick. The first year they were together was just they were running over everybody. They were unstoppable. And the second year, it sort of just started falling apart. Teams figured it out. It happened. He was in Buffalo as well, and the same sort of thing happened. The offense works well for about a year, but after that, he just he can't adjust to what teams are throwing at him. And once he's figured out, he can't adjust to it at all. Yeah, it's it's a spot on play. Um, and I think that's why perhaps Brian Dable's getting more of a look, and he's more able to adjust. I I actually thought these two were quite similar characters in terms of their development and how close they were to getting a head coaching job. Um, but then we saw, you know, Dayball was a favourite. Obviously, he didn't get the Chargers job, whereas Greg Roman isn't getting any interviews. Um, yeah, so I think it's certainly been more impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, we'd, I don't think they have a problem with quarterback, Gordon. I'm sure you'd agree the Ravens. I, he's never going to be an elite quarterback. I think I saw you tweeting, throwing the ball. He's a running first quarterback, and they've got to find a way to make that work. Um because yeah, otherwise I don't think they're going to get very far in, in, in future years in the postseason. On to the Sunday games over in the US. Uh, and it was time for the Chiefs to play for many of their starters, including Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and others. It was their first game in 21 days. And they were hosting a spirited Browns team coming off uh, a really uh, meaningful victory for the franchise over division rival Pittsburgh in the wildcard round. And well, they did push them late, the Browns, with a comeback. But thanks to the brilliance from really backup quarterback Chad Hetty for the Chiefs after Patrick Mahomes left the game with a concussion in the third quarter, the champs pulled off the victory and are headed to their third straight AFC Championship game. It's also the third straight hosting AFC Championship game. The only other head coach in NFL history, and this stat's been all over social media. I'm sure you saw it, Gordo. Uh, was the 2002 to 2004 Eagles hosted three straight NFC championship games. And of course, Andy Reid was their coach back then. So he's certainly a man who knows how to build teams who can contend uh, year after year. The two plays that really sealed the victory and uh, stamped, I suppose, Chad Henney's um, name in, in, in football glory forever in Kansas City was uh, a 13 yard scramble on third and 14 before. And I give a lot of credit for Andy Reid for a really gutsy call on fourth down at midfield. Uh, lines Henny up in the shotgun. Even, you know, Tony Romo, one of the best commentators at predicting what the play is going to be, goes, there's no way they're snapping this ball. They're not snapping it. And they do snap it. And you could hear the, the surprise in Jim Nance's voice. Uh, rolls out, completes to Tyreek Hill for five yards, sits down inside. And, yep, the game's over. A 22-17 win for KC. Uh, what did you take out of this one, Gordo? I feel like this one's a difficult game to judge because... I mean, a lot depends on whether Pat Mahomes can play next week against Buffalo. I don't think that Chad Henney can win a playoff game if he's starting. But I think the Browns have a lot to look forward to. They did, for three quarters, they were in this game. Um, I mean, realistically, you look at it, they lost by five points. They had that very controversial fumble through the end zone with the non-called helmet-to-helmet hit, which essentially cost them six points. And there's your difference in the game. So they were right in this game the whole way through. Yeah, and to, 
They've definitely it, got things to look forward to. Yeah, to give it a bit a bit more context, really, you felt like Brown's defense couldn't stop the Chiefs all game, but they were finally getting back into the uh, back into the game. I believe the score at this point was nineteen to three late in the first half. The Browns are driving. Baker Mayfield hits Rashard Higgins. Uh, He's inside the five, stretches out for this end zone. Personally, I think this is a terrible rule, Gordon, and I'm sure you'll agree. When he stretches out for the end zone, Dan Sorensen comes in with a helmet-to-helmet hit, which wasn't called, which is the first issue, I think. That's that's in the rules. That's just a mistake by the officials. Uh, Higgins fumbles the ball out of the end zone. It's a touchback for KC. Uh, they end up getting some points out of it. Uh, oh, sorry, it was six in. They got up to 19-3 at the half. But, yeah, first of all, the officials shouldn't have missed the helmet-to-helmet call. Everyone could see it. It should be reviewable. And then second of all, it's a weird rule. It's a big punishment. Surely you would reckon a, a 10 or a 20 yard penalty and a loss of down would be more appropriate, Gordo. Yeah. I mean, you fumble the ball anywhere else on the field and it goes out of bounds and you get the ball where you fumbled it. Mm-hmm. And yet, oh no, where it goes out of bounds. And yet if it goes through the back of the end zone, the other team gets possession at their at 20 yard line. It's, mm. it's way too big of a penalty compared to anything else that happens on the field. I mean, maybe you fumble the ball out the back of the end zone and you get the ball back on your own 25-yard line or something. Yeah. I don't know. And a loss of down. Anything is better than what the current rule is. Yeah, I think coming straight out of the half, really that bad luck rolled on for the Browns. Baker's picked off by Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger. And at that point, it looked like it was all over. A 19-3 lead, they're deep in the red zone. Uh, the Browns red zone, but another miss for Barrison Butker comes out and misses a 33 yard field goal after missing a, an extra point earlier in the game. The Browns touchdown drive. The next drive for the Casey is the, the Mahomes injury drive. Uh, I believe it's third and short. He's running to pick up the, the first down. He gets hit uh, by Browns defender. He's as soon as he got hit, we think well, he's, he's got a concussion. He looked up, he stumbled, he fell down. He didn't really know where he was. They take him off. Everyone's heart's in their mouths. And I think immediately everyone's thinking, some people are thinking, gee, can the Browns make a comeback here with Henny? And the other people are thinking, if the Chiefs go on, can they win a game without Mahomes? Will he be back for next week? Um, But as you say, on the field, they were more thinking about, gee, Browns are still in this game because they get the ball back. They score another, another seven. And then Chad Henney, one of the more uglier picks I've seen in recent times, Gordo, it, it was almost like a punt. It was first and 25 from midfield. He rolls back. He lets fly this deep ball and there's just a, a man as if he's waiting for a punt return, a safety waiting in the end zone who catches it and, and you know, picks him off. A, a really bizarre play, I thought. Yeah. I don't know what he was looking at on that throw. I mean, first of all, it was a deep ball, I think, to Demarcus Robinson. Of all the receivers on that team, you shouldn't be throwing a deep ball to Demarcus Robinson. And if you do it, he threw it like five yards deep or deeper than Robinson was. And Carl Joseph was right there. So I don't know. I don't know what he saw, whether he did think, okay, I'm just going to punt it or what. But luckily, nothing came out of it for them. Yeah, I think you'll have a busy week, Kenny. Even if Mahomes is ultimately fit, they won't know that until he's past the. First four, uh, first the five points of the concussion plan the NFL has put in place, and he won't be able to practice Mahomes until he's past the first four elements of it. So, Henny certainly will be getting a lot of time with Reed and enemy learning the play. Well, he already should know the playbook, but um, getting first team reps and so on for the championship game because you can't be doing that um, against the Bills. Uh, and it came down to the 
the as I said, good teams they rely on their defense when their offense isn't working. The Chiefs defense they held, they got the ball back, and they ran out the clock thanks to those two Henny plays that I mentioned earlier. Stats wise, Mahomes wasn't a great twenty one for thirty two five five and a pick. Uh, sorry, a touchdown. Before he went out. They ran the ball. Damian Williams, I thought, was quite effective. 13 catches for 78. And then the two receivers that they always seem to rely on, Hill caught eight balls for 110 yards and Kelsey eight for 109 and a score. Hardman chipped in for 58. Um, but what I wanted to focus a little bit on is uh, the Browns. You mentioned before that they've had, they've had a great season. They will be okay going forward. Mayfield, I thought, played very well aside from that pick. He's 23 for 37, 204, touchdown to pick. Chubb, 13 for 69, Hunt, 6 for 32 and a touchdown, and, and, and Higgins caught five balls for 88, including that one which ended up with the fumble out of the end zone. Uh, I think the reason why the stats don't look quite as good for Baker Mayfield, you knew coming into this game, they essentially had to score on every possession, and as soon as they had a pick or a punt early on, you thought it's going to be hard for them to stay in this game. When Henny comes in, you think they have hope, but uh, ultimately, it was enough, but they could, they're certainly going to be an AFC threat, I would think, for years to come, Gordo. Yeah, um, I feel like they really did have a chance to win this game. That the drive after Carl Joseph got the pick in the end zone, they get the ball on the 25, they run it for a loss of a yard, they then threw a screen pass into the ground and threw a check down on third down. And I don't know what sort of play calling that is. You've got to be more aggressive at that point in the game with five minutes left. You're down five points and you go essentially run, screen, check down. That's not winning football. Yeah, I think in addition, I don't think, don't think Kevin Stefanski had a good day on return from COVID. In addition to that play calling, there was a, a bizarre challenge that I um, saw you tweeting about uh, that it just could look like a catch and that timeout that they lost could have been crucial in those last minutes um, you know, when Casey were trying to run out the clock there. Look, I think he will be coach of the year, if not Ron Rivera. I think he's done a great job getting them back. You know, first playoff appearance since 2002. We all know the stats. Um, first playoff win since 1995 with Bill Belichick. But, uh, you know, was, wasn't his finest day, I didn't think, Gordo. Yeah, it, there was a couple of issues with clock management as well, having to call timeouts in the huddle and... I mean, it's probably going to happen. It's his, it's his first playoff game. So I think we can forgive him for that. Yeah, by contrast, a man who was criticised for his uh, clock management and play calling for many a year in Philadelphia and then in Kansas City, Andy Reid. Uh, I mean, everyone's always loved him, but I think he's coaching better than ever. Play calling, time management and the gutsiness, you know, the balls to call that fourth down throw from the shotgun, uh, you know, really showed, I think, how he's developed and matured as a as a coach. And I really think having the luxury of, even though Mahomes wasn't on the field, with Alex Smith, I don't think he's ever calling a fourth down. I don't think he's having the guts to call and the trust in his quarterback to call that kind of a play. But now he's had Mahomes around him. I think he has more freedom and confidence in that and, and seems to enjoy coaching. And, you know, they're winning, Gordo. Yeah, I mean, when you go from Alex Smith to Pat Mahomes, I mean, you're going to get that jump in quality. You're going to be able to call more... Um, exotic concepts it just it gives you the confidence no matter where you are on the field you can convert you have that ability yeah yeah. i think it's yeah i think it's certainly an interesting point of discussion so yes the chiefs they're on to the third straight uh hosting of an afc championship game they'll welcome the bills into arrowhead uh in the 6 30 
Eastern Time game on CBS next next Sunday for the right to go to to the Super Bowl. And on to the final game of the weekend down in New Orleans. It was the media darling game on Fox. Uh, Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, and it was Brady and Breeze. Uh, we learned just before the game with Jake Laser reporting that this would be Breeze's final season. So it would have been his final game if he lost. And it turned out to be, as we'll get on to shortly. And it was third time lucky, really, for Tom Brady and the Bucks. As you mentioned last show, Gordo, they've been quite, quite uh, resoundingly defeated by the Saints twice in the regular season. Uh, but this time, yes, it was three times lucky. They knocked off the Saints 30 to 20 ending Drew Brees' career and sending Tampa up to Green Bay for the right to not only represent their conference in Super Bowl 54, but also an interesting nugget I, I found to be the first ever team in the Super Bowl era to contend for a title in their home stadium. Of course, the Super Bowl being held at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa this season. Uh, I think for all the hype about two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, neither I thought seemed settled or really uh, very efficient in the first half. I mean, Tampa's Sol TD came off uh, great field position thanks to a, a Drew Brees pick by Sean Murphy bunting, jumped in front of a route, got at the three-yard line two plays later in for a touchdown. And the Saints relied on Jameis Winston to come in and throw uh, their first touchdown, a 56-yard bomb to uh, Traquan Smith. And, of course, Jameis Winston's first ever uh, playoff touchdown against his old team, so a nice little revenge nugget there it was tied at 13 at the half and the saints really came out i thought looking very good in the second half 10 play 75 yard touchdown drive capped off by breeze hitting smith for his second score however on the next drive a jared cook fumble on the next offensive possession really uh uh set the wheels rolling for for a bucks comeback and, and they took the opportunity from then on they scored 17 unanswered points uh the saints didn't score again and the last seven points, really the ceiling points coming off another ugly Drew Brees uh, pick with Devin White as the recipient. Uh, ultimately, Gordo, I think that the Saints just shot themselves in the foot with turnovers, three picks and a fumble. Um, they could easily be playing in the title game, but they're not. And you've got to give credit for the Bucks for that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, New Orleans is a tough one. I feel like all year I've been saying... Jameis Winston give this team a better chance to win than Drew Brees. And I honestly think today that they should have put him in. I know it's Drew Brees's, it's probably Drew Brees's last game. You want to send him out not being benched, but if they actually wanted to win this game, Jameis Winston would have given them a way better chance and they just didn't do it. Yeah. On the other side of the ball, the Saints defense, they couldn't stop the Bucks in the second half. I think, Arians finally found some kind of play calling groove. Brady finished 18 for 33, only 200 yards and two touchdowns. It was enough. Fournette on the ground, 17 carries for 63 yards uh, and Jones 13 for 62. And on the defensive side, I thought Todd Bowles played a better game. They like to play man coverage, as Troy Aikman mentioned on the telecast, against uh, the Saints team, like to play hard. They're ball hawk, uh, their defensive backs. And we saw that with the picks and, and Devin White also with a, with a fumble recovery uh, and a good force fumble. I do question Bruce Arians' play calling, especially in the first half. I wonder what you, if you noticed this or what you made of it, Gordo. He seems to love to run. I saw maybe two or three first downs all game where he passed. Boy, loves to run the ball on first down for two yards. And then when it gets to third and short, which is more of a running game, he loves to throw the ball. I mean, I know Bruce Arians is a bit of a different cat, but I, I, I really don't think they're going to have the opportunity to stall out on offense like they did this game in the first half when they're up against Aaron Rodgers, who's scoring on every drive next week. Yeah, I think I've got to agree with you there. 
I mean, I said on the podcast we did, what, um, late last week, I don't rate Arians as a coach at all. I mean, mm-hmm. he doesn't scheme to his strengths. He just schemes to how he wants to. Um, yeah, it feels like, I don't know, he's starting to come around the Brady sort of system. You look at today, so many of the throws were check downs to running backs and the receivers were going short and they're getting yards after the catch. But, yeah, there's still elements of this offense that just aren't clicking. Yeah, I think they woke up in the second half, but the first half was certainly troublesome. And as I just mentioned before, you can't afford to do that against this this um, Green Bay offense with the MVP and Rodgers. You know, it'll be over before half time. Um, you mentioned Drew Brees, possibly and likely really last game. You took a moment to say goodbye to the Superdome crowd uh, after the field. He was on after the game. He was on the field with his kids, and Tom Brady came out and sort of threw a touchdown pass to. Um, Drew Brees is older, so there was a nice moment between the two legends there. Brees, not a good day. 19 for 34, 134 yards, a touchdown in the three picks. Alvin Kamara, you know, he always he always racks up the yardage, 18 for 85. And a key point, Michael Thomas, um, really seen as a, one of the top three receivers in the previous years. He got injured this year and, you know, no catches uh, on a handful of targets. So I think it'll be interesting to see if he can ever return to that you know, top receiver status or even think about competing with Devontae Adams, Gordo? Yeah, I've said for a few years now, Michael Thomas is a product of that system. I mean, so many of his catches are just force-fed to him. I I had him as a top five receiver, maybe, at the start of this year, but he's nowhere near that right now. I mean, his last couple of games have not been good. I know he's coming off an injury, but, yeah, I don't know. He, he struggles to create separation. A lot of his catches are contested on a slant or on a crosser. And if a quarterback's not willing to throw to him on that, if it's someone like Breeze, who's normally very risk averse and doesn't want to throw into tight coverage, won't throw it. Yeah. Um, I think also in, in New Orleans, we have an interesting, obviously the quarterback situation is interesting. So Breeze, luckily out of there. Uh, James Winston's on a one-year contract. Taysom Hill, was inactive today. Who knows what's going to happen with him? Of course, Sean Payton likes him. Maybe they look in free agency for a quarterback. Maybe they look to the draft. Uh, don't have much. They're, well, they're, they're over the cap, aren't they? So that'll be an issue for them. Uh, this defense was good for most of the year. Didn't really show up today. So um, I think an interesting time going forward for the for um, the Saints, uh, Gordo. But I, I would be surprised if they're repeating for the fifth time as NFC South Division Championships next season. Yeah, uh, they're in a tough spot. I mean, I think they're, what, $99 million over the cap, something like that. Correct. They don't have a quarterback. Um, They're they're an old roster. I mean, Drew Brees retiring. Michael Thomas is 28, I think. Cam Cam Jordan Jordan, is... 30-something, Demario Davis is 30-something. Malcolm Jenkins is late 30s, yeah. Yeah, and they won't have a high draft pick this year, so they're in a bit of trouble, I think, for the next couple of years. Yes, so that's it for the Saints this year. The Bucks, as I mentioned, they're off to Green Bay. I mean, mentioned it last week. We both tipped the Bucks. We both saw them going up to Green Bay. Uh, Gordo, you, of course, said if, if Brady goes up there and beats Aaron Rodgers, we won't hear from you for a couple of weeks. I said last week I'm tipping them, 
um, to win an upset in Green Bay after today's performance. I'm not so confident on that pick, but just to be contrarian to you, I'll, I'll, I'll stay with it. Uh, but yes, those are the two games. The early game, I believe it's three or five or three thirty on Fox. Packers are hosting the Bucks, and then the uh, AFC Championship at uh, six thirty uh, their Eastern Time in Kansas City is the Bills at the Chiefs for the right to go to the Super Bowl. So yes, we'll be back later in the week to preview all that. But before we go, Gordon, I thought we'd do a little activity looking at some of the eliminated teams from this year's postseason, and in fact, just two of them, we're each going to pick one team who we would most like to be going into the 2021 season. Who do we think most has uh, the ability to contend and, and win the Super Bowl out of the teams that made the postseason uh, but have been eliminated up to this point? Uh, and I'll let you go first. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to take the Ravens here. I mean, it's probably the obvious choice. I mean, they've got the reigning MVP, who regressed slightly this year, but I still think he can play at a very high level if he's got the right cast around him. Um, they've got $23 million in cap space. They're only big free agents, and Matt Judon, who I think they can let walk anyway, and Unique and Garthway. I feel like they can let them both walk. Um, their main need, if, if they can get a couple of good offensive linemen, particularly a centre. I mean, you look at uh, yesterday's game, they had two snaps go way off course. Uh, one of them got Lamar hurt in the end, having to chase it back to his own goal line. So if they can pick up a couple of offensive linemen and a big wide receiver, I think in free agency, they're really well set up. Yeah, I think it's it's a good point. We obviously discussed Greg Roman issue with the offensive play calling there. I think that is the biggest issue. I think they do they do special teams well. I'm saying cock punting there and um, Tucker kicking. Of course, John Harbour being a former special teams coach. The defensive side of the ball, Wink Martindale, you know, he knows what he's doing. They'll be a top 10 points yards defense uh, more years than they aren't. Uh, obviously, the, the division's a bit more competitive with Cleveland there and Pittsburgh. Well, we don't know what's happening with Pittsburgh, but yeah, I, I certainly think I'm well, it's a long way away the start of the year, but if they have a good off-season, they'll probably be my pick for the division next year, uh, competing there with the Browns. And uh, talking of the Browns, that'll be my pick. Um, mentioned a bit earlier, they had that really important win for the franchise on the road in Pittsburgh in the Wild Cup round without their head coach and, and several assistants. Um, they come back, again, you mentioned they really could have beat Kansas City today. They didn't, um, but still a very promising season. I think You've got Kevin Stefanski. You've got who I think is their most assist, uh, most important assistant coach, Bill Callahan, uh, with the offensive line. You know, they've got pro bowlers there, Petonio, Conklin, Weller. Uh, they've got a good double team in the backfield with uh, Chubb and Kareem Hunt. On defence, I think that's where they need work. They've got a lot of free agents on defence. Um, they've got Miles Garrett, who is, of course, their their all pro, you know, candidate. He won't get defensive player of the year, but he's certainly a candidate. Um, uh, you got, you know, in terms of the defense, I think the secondary is going to be an area they need to address. Sendejo, the safety is a, um, is a free agent. Carl Joseph, the safety is a free agent. Terrence Mitchell, cornerback for, uh, is, a, is a free agent. Uh, Kevin Johnson, the cornerback is, is a free agent. So they, they will need to address there possibly in the draft, but I think Andrew Berry has done a good job of building the team in the roster in his first year as GM. They've got 25 million cap space, so a little more than the Ravens there. 
Uh, and they've played this whole year without Odell Beckham, who we know is an incredibly talented receiver. Uh, they're obviously in the same division as the Ravens, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Of course, they, they lost both games to the Ravens this year, which really was the difference in terms of playoff seeding. But, you know, I think there's a, a bright future ahead for Cleveland. I'm, I'm sure you'd agree. Yeah, um, I think on the point about defence, I think linebacker is their biggest need. They're really thin there and they struggle against the run and covering tight ends. But I think if they clear up a couple of those issues, yeah, they're really well placed for the future. Who have they got? BJ Goodson. I think he's a free agent. BJ Goodson, uh, Sion, Taki Taki and Mac Wilson, who has underwhelmed massively this year. Right, so that that's clearly an area where they would need to address there. But yeah, I think certainly those teams will certainly be, I think, vying for the championship. But sorry, the AFC North uh, division crown with Pittsburgh really really fading away. I think next season. So yes, they're the two teams that we think are best placed for the twenty twenty one season currently um, of those teams that have been eliminated in the postseason. So yes, uh, the final foursome remain. Bills, Chiefs, Packers, and Bucks. We'll find out next weekend who's progressing to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 55 down in Tampa, that is. We'll be back later in the week to preview those championship games. Gordo, thanks for being with me. That's all right. Uh, you can see the links to both our blogs in the description. Thanks to Kevin McLeod for the music. The song's called Funkorama. Link to that is in the description. And yes, have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.